Hi, and welcome to BJGP Interviews. I'm Nada Khan, and I'm one of the associate editors of the BJGP. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to this podcast. In today's episode, we talked to Jennifer McClellan and Sultana B about the paper they have recently published here in the BJGP titled Primary Care Practitioners' Experiences of Perimenopause Help Seeking Amongst Ethnic Minority Women. So thanks, Jen and Sultana, for joining me here today. We've been highlighting here in the BJGP the need for research and policy initiatives to help improve the experiences of women's health here in the UK. And in this paper, you look specifically at the experience of perimenopause and menopause amongst a specific group, so ethnic minority women. But tell me a bit more about your motivations around doing this research. Okay, so I work at Oxford University with a team and the PI, Dr McNiven, was actually approached and asked to um, speak with primary care practitioners actually about their experiences of supporting women's health. So it was a really broad question. Um, So we set out to do a qualitative study. Now, out of that beautiful qualitative study, we did quite an in-depth thematic analysis and there was quite a lot of strong uh, messages that were coming out. And one of them obviously was about menopause and perimenopause because there's been you know, a lot in the media recently raising awareness. And so a lot of women from across the country are coming forward looking for support. And we found that practitioners were saying to us, do you know, we've had a deluge of women coming forward but not not from across the population. We're not seeing women from ethnic minority groups coming forward with perimenopausal and menopausal symptoms, looking for diagnosis, for support, whatever. So we we saw this as a gap and thought, oh, crumbs, this is a bit interesting, isn't it? From my point of view, and and that's my involvement in the research, was that my experience was different. I felt women were coming forward, but the symptoms of perimenopause and menopause were often not being recognised because they were described differently and perhaps in words and ways that to the clinician didn't correspond with their knowledge and experience of what perimenopause and menopause symptoms can um, be like for an, a woman. And I said sometimes the description of the words could be such as Bahar, I'm feeling heat coming out my tummy um, or feeling anxious and that being put down to mental health problems rather than related to the menopause and and often presenting with a number of symptoms at different appointments and not having those dots joined up uh, and seeing that women are coming forward but just not necessarily themselves recognise it's the perimenopause or menopause and then the clinician as well not seeing that those symptoms are correlated with the transition of menopause and, and perimenopause. Yeah, it's really interesting that you identified this gap from the wider research program. And this was a qualitative study of people working in primary care. So mostly GPs um, and their experiences of health seeking around the menopause, as you've discussed in this in this group. But sometimes a criticism of research on healthcare staff and their perceptions of what patients are doing is that it's secondhand information. But in this study, you embedded quite a lot of patient and public involvement. And I wonder if you could just talk us through that a bit. Sure. And yeah, thanks. So 
as Sultana said, the, the main themes we came up with from the practitioner's perspective was that perhaps women weren't aware of the problem um, or what the symptoms were, so a health literacy issue, that the communication there were some communication challenges, as Sultana has mentioned, and that sometimes um, practitioners weren't viewing the woman's consultation through you know a holistic lens they may you know come a number of times or you know the description of their symptoms may not be classic so we thought oh well this is quite interesting let's see what what women say now it's interesting as you'll know in research you get permission to do a certain you know, um, group of activities. So we had permission to interview primary care practitioners, not to go out and speak to women in a formal study. So we decided, right, let's just do some consultations with women of lived experience. And Sultana was amazing at helping us access different communities. Um, and we managed to meet eventually with 14 women from three different ethnic minority communities, which of course is not representative, but it, it's a it's a flavour, it's a bit of a mirror. So that was from West African, Urdu speaking and Bengali speaking. And we said, okay, ladies, this is what we've found. This is what the practitioners are saying to us. What's your experience? And it was really interesting because in the majority of cases, they reflected exactly what the practitioners were saying and what our findings were saying. So, for example, when the practitioners were saying, oh, you know, perhaps um, there's less awareness of perimenopause in the community, so women don't know what to come forward for to ask for help. And the women said the same, wasn't it, Sultana? They said, oh, I didn't realise I could get help for this, or, you know, maybe I come forward with a, um, anxiety or, you know, deep sadness and I'm given treatment for depression but it doesn't work. And so then I don't, you know, go back because I don't trust that they're listening to me and understand. So it was an excellent opportunity to really unpick both sides of the story, actually. No, it's really refreshing to see patient involvement embedded in a study in a meaningful way. So well done on designing the study in that way. And I think it's really added to the value of the findings as well. And the results describe three key themes from this analysis. I wonder if you could just talk me through the main findings. So the main findings we summarised into three themes, as you've said. The first one, knowing the problem. So this was pretty much about the symptoms of the perimenopause being less well understood or even awareness. And when we consulted with our lived experience group, the women were saying that generally they don't speak about these bodily symptoms with their peer groups or even with their families. So it's not discussed about. You just manage it. Um, though everybody knew that menopause was when your period stopped, but there wasn't an awareness of all the symptomatology, you know, of the of the lead up to it. The second problem theme, sorry, was communicating the problem. And as Sultana mentioned, this was on both sides of the relationship. So from the woman herself, perhaps using a different different words, not necessarily language, but different words to describe how her body is feeling. So perhaps saying, oh, I just feel really sore, I've got pain everywhere, which a, a medical person might actually interpret or say as lethargy or tiredness or, you know, that whole body heaviness. Or another example we had was, oh, I've had fever for months 
but no clinical signs of infection. And actually, when it's unpicked, it's, you know, what we would perhaps call hot flushes. So, you know, just that difference in expression could send one off on, on a different tack. Um, and the last finding we got, we found was, we called it joining the dots. This is about perhaps multiple consultations for fairly non-specific um, symptoms, perhaps complicated by the presence of other chronic conditions, classically diabetes. So it's joining all these dots with the woman's age in a, you know, a good deep conversation where there's understanding. And like Sultana says, it's not just with an interpreter. It also needs cultural understanding sometimes. So the main things that came out of that, our conclusions were that it would be super if we could have greater awareness on both sides. So among women in culturally cultural resources. So that is language and the media just like every other woman, you know, a, a multitude of resources so that women can inform themselves and come forward and advocate for their own health. Support for practitioners, as Sultana said, over the years, being exposed to different presentations to support women, to, you know, the ad hoc menopausal education that's out there, but is very much dependent on a practitioner's own interest and time. Perhaps could it be made into the core training so that practitioners are aware even of the basics and then they can perhaps refer on if um, they feel they're out their depth because this did come up across the study that menopause specifically but women's health generally tends to fall to female practitioners that is another conversation, but it does put quite a, a heavy burden on the female practitioners because generally the women's health consultations take a lot longer. If a, if a woman consults with a male practitioner, you know, there is a risk that perhaps she won't receive the best standard of care that she might have if she'd managed to access a female. And I think touching on that, um, culturally, for many of the women I see, um, they wouldn't feel it was appropriate for them to talk about these very personal symptoms, such as like vulval pruritus with a male clinician. They just simply wouldn't, you know, um, it's part of their their, their protection of, of them as a female. Um, in the presence of male, you wouldn't discuss those things. You know, you would only really discuss with the female. So I think accessibility to a female clinician is really important as well and allowing, you know, patients a choice. And it's having that cultural sensitivity as well and allowing patients to have access to a female uh, practitioner. I guess, as you mentioned, it's about joining the dots and making sure that when women are coming with these specific needs, working out the best way to, to support them. And you've touched a bit about on um, the different ways we can support communication, but this study specifically finds that there's a communication gap in th this kind of consultation. And how do you think we can address this when working in general practice? You've touched upon a few things, but I wonder if you have any pointers for people working in the field. I was going to say, certainly having um, written literature available, so in different languages, and it also acts of accessibility to interpreters readily in the right language and given adequate time, because often if you use an interpreter, it is more time consuming. And we've already said, as Jenna said, these consultations 
take longer uh, and about to try to unpick the symptoms, to be able to join the dots. So I think some of the adjustments that could be made are perhaps longer appointment times for these type of consultations. I wonder if either of you had any thoughts about trust building. Uh, you've touched upon this a bit, but about how to encourage developing a trusting relationship between women who may feel that they're not being listened to, women who may find it difficult to talk about these symptoms, and women whose symptoms are getting misinterpreted, perhaps. I think where it's really helpful is that to have some continuity and to see the same practitioner uh, at each appointment to have time to develop that rapport and trust. Um, and usually, if, if I, have, I find if you have patients, and most practitioners will say this, whether general practitioners, advanced practitioners, Patient might present with one little problem and um, to test the waters. And if they feel comfortable and that's been resolved satisfactorily, they then may open up with a real reason for attending. And that takes a little bit of time. And once you get something right, they'll say, oh, yes, she's OK. I feel I can talk to her. I'm comfortable. Um, and and I think with that continuity, people open up much more private symptoms and personal symptoms. I think continuity is very important, trying to see this, which can be difficult in large practices. And I think sometimes small practices, it can be a lot easier. And obviously with the pressures that we have on general practice, that can be quite difficult trying to see the same person again and again. You know, you've touched upon a lot of issues here that have been reflected in the literature, certainly what we're publishing here in the BJGP about the importance of continuity, about meaningful patient engagement, and about women having their voices heard. So thank you very much both for your time here today. Thank you, Nada. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Jen. Thanks. Thanks again. It's been really great, as I mentioned, to highlight women's health issues, especially in a potentially overlooked group with such specific health needs and health-seeking routines as well. So thank you all very much as well for listening to today's BJGP podcast. If you'd like to read the original research article, it can be found on bjgp.org and the show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Thanks again for listening. Bye.